Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're with us here today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Scott. Scott, thank you so much for being with us here today. Michelle, thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. So give everybody the kind of the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Yeah. So uh, like you mentioned, my name is Scott Ritheimer. I uh, had the fantastic experience of getting to help start 20,000 organizations uh, in really the first 10 years of my career. So jumped out of the gate, uh, flying way faster than I had any business doing. And uh, it was an absolute blast. Learned a lot during that time, uh, built my own organization. And in all of that discovered what I love is uh, I love building things that build things. Uh, I, I love seeing a team come together. I, I love the inner workings of an organization, uh, all the stuff that everyone else dreads. I love it's uh, Those are the problems. I love the opportunities that I enjoy. And I now get to do that full time. It's wonderful. I love that. So how did you get into this in particular? Yeah. So a couple steps to that uh, business before this, uh, helping to start all those organizations, I just kind of fell into, uh, you know, there was really no rhyme or reason to it. I needed a job and just happened to land uh, at that organization. Um, and it literally started in the mailroom of the organization and ended up leading it a few years later. So that was wow. a fun experience. Uh, that was a fun experience. And, uh, and again, during that time, discovering that what I love to do, you know, leading an organization, you have to lead all the parts of the organization. It's uh, And as it grows, your part of that pie gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And, uh, and so while I enjoyed that process, what I really enjoyed was getting down in and working on the organization itself. And that's not really what you do as a CEO. Your job is not to look down and in. Your job is to look up and out. And so I wanted to position myself you know, in my next business where I could stay on that down and in as much as possible for other organizations because that's what I love to do. And so I landed as a coaching consultant because it gave me the best opportunity to do the most of that. Very cool. So who do you love to serve and support? Who's your favorite kind of client? I love entrepreneurs. I really do. Uh, I, I love the folks who, you know, they see everything as an opportunity to the, to a fault. Um, and I love the messiness of it. Uh, I love the, um, the dynamism of that space. You know, it's, you can go out and in consulting, you can make a ton of money working for very large organizations and really not do anything. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very doable. Uh, I'd rather get down and get, my, you know, my knees and hands dirty and work with the folks that are actually doing something, building something, making something. That's, the, that's a lot of fun. Nice. I love that. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories. Yeah. So Cinderella stories, I mean, there's a handful um, uh, I'll tell mine, not, not to blow me up because I'm, you know, I'm kind of the, the dummy in the story, but uh, it, it's really the pivot point for me and, and why I do what I do today. And so uh, we had started this organization back in 2008, right? September of 2008. 
Uh, and if your math and dates are working well, you know that was not a great time to start a new organization. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, I did the same thing in January of 2020, which again was not a great time to start a new organization. <laughs> so if I start another new organization, I'll let you know. We can short everything and we'll be great. You know, we'll, we'll go make sure that there's some cataclysmic earthly event. <laughs> so uh, despite that, uh, I mean, it was really up and to the right for us. We uh, it was a, a kind of a weird situation in that it was an organization that had existed, been destroyed, and we were relaunching. Uh, and so that had some unique challenges and opportunities. But really, for all intents and purposes, um, we did really, really well through that first recession and uh, and just had a number of years of double digit growth. I think uh, we never filed, but we were on track to being, um, uh, I think, top 500 for Inc. 5000 for quite a while and just loving it. You know, it was, it was fun. You know, it was the, the part of entrepreneurism that everybody talks about. And then we just hit a wall and, and it wasn't like this all of a sudden kind of a thing that, that you would expect, but it was just this slow deterioration of where the things that we did that worked phenomenally, you know, it's like anything we touched turned the gold, all of a sudden we're touching them. And it's just that gold was a little slippery. You know what I mean? It was, it's just, <laughs> it's not working the way that it used to. Yeah. Uh, if we wanted to sell more, we'd hire another sales rep, give them a handful of leads and say, go, you know, if we wanted to grow grow our, our conferences, we would just schedule new events, people would show up and it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden that, that just didn't happen anymore. It, it wasn't that we went backwards as much as what we were doing, all the levers that we were pulling, they just didn't work the way that they were supposed to. And at first we kind of just like, uh, you know, it's because this is off or we, we hired the wrong person or, you know, we've got to tidy this up. It's all the little things that, you know, you think will fix it and, and they help a little bit, but you end up spending more time firefighting than you do actually finishing things, actually doing stuff. And I was there and it was miserable. I mean, quite honestly, um, our we were making more money uh, top line, but we weren't keeping any more of it. You know, every year revenue would go up and we started to see our profit actually going down, not just as a percentage, but dollar amount. And it's like, what's happening? You know, it's like, this is the same group of people that was doing 20, we had 70% growth, you know, one year. It's like same group of people that was doing that, doing most of the same things and for some reasons not working. And it felt like we had just completely walked off the map. It was like, you know, we had, we had read the books, you know, so I was a big Collins fan, Len Shoney fan, like we, and we had done the stuff we had played around with the EOS world and like all of the things that we knew to do, we did. And uh, by all the standards, we did well, but for some reason, it just wasn't connecting. It wasn't ticking. It wasn't working. I can't and, tell you how many entrepreneurs I know that feel that way at some point in their life. Yeah, like there's always yeah. just like, what the hell am I doing wrong? And, Why isn't this working? Yeah, yeah. And the shocking thing is like, you feel like you're the only one that that's, uh, is that right? Way, you know, because it's like no one else is feeling like this, right? Uh, and when markets and so, are up, yeah, everybody's gliding, you know, yeah, massively isolating and, uh, uh, and really just very trying time for us. Uh, <laughs> me and the whole team, I had a great team. It wasn't like that. I was, you know, some people it's like, I'm doing it all myself. It's like, well, you can fix that, you know, like you don't have to, but it was like, we had a great team and it still couldn't crack the nut. And, 
uh, we were hitting up against it for a couple of years. And then I came across uh, a book. It's actually a podcast like this. It's why I love doing podcasts because uh, a podcast genuinely, literally transformed my life. Uh, but I, I heard a gentleman named Les McEwen speak on uh, the seven life cycle stages that an organization goes through. Any organization. I did a lot of work in the nonprofit space happens there. A lot of work in the for-profit space, uh, like my business. And, and it's the same seven stages. And one of those stages is called whitewater. And uh, it's the third of, of the seven stages. And it's what happens when an organization succeeds. Uh, it, it's this really problematic time. And you said it's surprising how many people have every single successful entrepreneur will face it at some point, 100% of the time. Uh, it's just a matter of when, right? And, and understanding it. But when you get there, it feels like it's, it's only happening to you. And, and that was our, our case. I ended up going out, I got the book, I've got it behind me now here, um, but uh, got the book and this is this will show you how much of a nerd I am. Uh, so I was out in Europe, my wife is from Norway. And so we had traveled back to, to spend some time with her family and you know, pawned off the kids to the in-laws, like, here, take them, you know, and, and got to spend a weekend, a long weekend in Monaco, which nice. is like amazing right so right. we jump on a plane we're heading down we're connecting through amsterdam and and mr romantic what am i doing i'm Reading. listening to a business book about life cycle stages <laughs> <laughs> and so flying over the french countryside right i i have i get to the point where he starts talking about this whitewater stage in detail right he had introduced it on the podcast was really diving into the mechanics of it why it's happening and it's like that you know when you're like completely lost at the mall no one goes to malls anymore but you're completely lost and you find the thing is like you are here you know it was that moment like, for me yes and, and and like two thoughts instantly go through my mind the first one is we're in whitewater like that's where we are I get it now. Like that's my you're here moment. The second one is if I could help organizations get out of whitewater as a living, I would die a happy man. Nice. And then I thought, I was like, that's not a normal thought. You know, most <laughs> people don't really like, they read whitewater and like, get me out of here as soon as possible. But I realized, especially with just the, my makeup and my wiring, that that is the type of problem that I love to solve because it's that cusp of going from that organic growth. You know, we can we've got it figured out until we realize we don't. To what he describes in the book as predictable success, as the stage in business where you can set goals and achieve them with great regularity, where you go from being able to grow, you know, add this, add that to scale, right? We're going to add these and add those, you know, and that difference, you know, and, and, and the, the challenges and the strategies you need to do during that time uh, were revolutionary. And so what did before I do? You, before well, you, no, before you yes. finish the story, because um, oh. Oh, I will hold on to that. We will get to the end of the story, I promise. But I want to know when you were going through that, was it in your mind, do you think it would have been harder to have had success and go through the whitewater experience? Or would it have been easier if you had had some like little <laughs> rapids <laughs> before you got to the success so that you at least knew that, hey, you know, yeah. I know how to problem solve here. Because, And the reason yeah. I ask is because a lot of times when people have instantaneous success, I'm like, yeah, but you haven't learned the lesson yet. And that crash, I think hits harder because yeah. you don't realize that it's kind of a fluke. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think because uh, it's it's both uh, because it wasn't easy, right? Uh, the the second stage, the name for it that he he gives is fun, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's that that success that we had was fun. It wasn't easy, right? It it, it was a lot of work, um, and and we had some, you know, internally we had a few things along the way. So <laughs> fair enough, fair I, enough. You know, it, but I think that actually reinforced the the challenge that we had, which was we've been through hard times too, and we've gotten through them, right? Mm-hmm. Like we got through the organization literally being destroyed and rebuilding it again. Like, and so, uh, you know, to an extent, yes, those rapids, they are there. They're there for any organization. You'll hit some of those. Some of them will feel like whitewater even before you've actually gotten there. But then there's a time when it's like, it's it's the stage, right? And and I don't know, you know, it's, it's helpful to know about it. If I had had that language beforehand, I think that would have been the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, it, it just what felt so hard about it was that it just didn't make sense. It, it didn't mm-hmm. seem like you know, to have achieved the success that we did, even though we had to work for it. And then all of a sudden, like be back in what felt like the early days, you know, it's like, we're just struggling to get anything right, right now. Um, To, to, you know, to go back into that mode, I I think is going to be challenging, you know, no matter how you get there. Fair enough. Okay. So the rest of the story. Okay. So like any great entrepreneur who reads a book, what did I do? nothing. I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> I went for three years in this whitewater stage uh, of just banging my head against the wall, trying to do the old stuff that worked really well before uh, I spotted the book again on a shelf. And I was like, Hey, th- th- he talked about this, didn't, you know, and there's a whole chapter in the back of the book on how to get out of whitewater. Like it's all that it's dedicated to. And I, I realized, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, for, for me and the team, we've tried all our old stuff long enough. It's time to get out of whitewater and so uh literally walked through you know the poor man's implementation just following the steps in the book and uh the the transformation in the organization was was remarkable Uh, in in one year's time we added a million dollars to the bottom line of the organization and that was after cutting a million dollars off of the top line and nearly tripled our profit during that window. And, uh, and now today, you know, just a few years later, the organization's over double its size uh, in, in you know, any term that you want to uh, go after. And, and they're just crushing it. Um, and, and uh, you know, after that, I was like, I, I can't argue with this. You know, it's it just like, it was remarkable how, how simple it was once I took the right steps in the right order. Uh, what I think the challenge, and, and I know this from working with it now, is it almost seems too simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like so many things work so poorly that you feel like it's got to be some complicated decision. It's got to be some fancy strategy, whatever. And, and it's really fundamentals, but it's getting those fundamentals in the right time and in the right order. And for us, I mean, it was just, it was revolutionary. It was, it was completely transformative. Nice. So if somebody's finding themselves in whitewater right now, what are some things that they might be able to do? Yeah. So there's all kinds of things. And, um, you know, to, to make it easy, we've actually got a free e-course that anyone can use that, that walks through the steps that I got out of the book. I put together a video series on each one of them and just said, here's what you need to do. So we can give everybody a link to that. But if uh, nice, absolutely. Uh, if, go ahead. Yeah. If you want to go to scalearchitects.com slash creating dash capacity, we'll have that there ready for everybody creating dash capacity and we can put it in the notes, but um, 
basically there are there's five main elements and I, i'm not going to dig into what they are because we could be here for for three days <laughs> but but the first one uh we're actually doing a, a session on it next week and it's all about the org chart right it's the biggest snooze fest tactic that you could ever really think of but what happened in our organization what i see happening time and time and time again especially for visionary leaders is we think you know you're here you work for me let's all go Right. That's, that's about as much as we need to do. And and what's happening throughout the organization, you know, I remember for the very first time I was walking through the halls and I saw someone. I said, what, why, what are you doing here? And they're like, I work here. You know, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I didn't hire you and you work here. How's, you know, and, and once you get up to you get enough employees walking the halls and you haven't hired them. Right. And all of a sudden you can't lead by persona. You can't lead by, you know, relationship the way that you used to. But you also don't want to lead by bureaucracy and a bunch of automatons and that kind of thing. And so how do you strike the balance between the two of those? And it starts with an org chart. It starts with getting down into the nitty gritty of who does what. And the, the remarkable thing that happened for us and, and what I see happen in every single time I go through this session with folks is they realize they're doing somewhere between 30 and 50% of what people across the organization are doing is completely unnecessary. Wow. Just completely unnecessary. It's things that we did at one time. Usually, they're things that I thought was a great idea that I said, "Hey, go try this," and they've continued trying it for ten years. You know, and I, you have no idea what people are doing until you go in and take a look and you realize, "Hey, we don't need to do that at all." And so, the very first step in getting up, getting out of whitewater, is actually taking a look and seeing, "Okay, who's doing what?" And when you do, you'll realize there's an enormous amount of capacity just latent in the organization that we can tap into. And when we start to when we start to free up that time, now all of a sudden we have time to put out the fires that exist and really work on the organization and build it bigger. So there's all kinds of things that go into that. Um, and it's not complex. It's just getting them in the right order. And that's why we put together the course. So folks can nice. find more out about that. But. I love it. We will definitely have that link in the show notes for you, peeps. Or you can, of course, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, look for Scott or look for organization or restructuring or all sorts of fun stuff, keywords that y'all have in here. We will make sure that you get to that. And uh, I know that there's a ton more that you're going to teach people, but I want to play with this idea of the role of the CEO, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs that grow into business ownership don't understand that pivot point of when you need somebody as your COO, who, as you eloquently put it, is head down looking at the details, crossing the T's and making sure that the jobs are getting done and the CEO who is looking up and going, okay, where's company going? So extrapolate if you want on that one. And then I'm going to ask you later on. Um, so when somebody finds themselves transitioning into that point of CEO, what did they do with their time and where are they going with it? So first off, Great like let's questions. look at the separation between the two and what that means to you. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, it, that is a, a transition that actually I think needs to happen about five years earlier than it happens for most folks. <laughs> I think the vast majority of, of great CEOs, like really, really good ones, feel like they don't need it long before they would benefit from it. And so, you know, if you're out there, you're a CEO and you've gotten past that stage of like, okay, we're just making payroll, then one of the most important things that you can be doing outside of selling is finding your number two, 
finding that that right hand man or woman that can start taking on you know parts of your organization, someone that you trust, but someone that you can work very closely with because you will double the capacity of leadership when you do. And if you get the right person, you will more than double it because they are going to be excellent at a few things that you probably hate right now. So first thing is it's sooner than later. Second thing is the step straight to a COO is very intimidating for most entrepreneurs. You're talking about you know keys to a significant portion of the kingdom, right? It's a, a, and and that can be a little off-putting to some folks, not even from an ego standpoint, but it's just like it's scary. It's just new territory. How do you know if they're the right person? How do you know if you can lead them well? What if they fill in the blank? And so, what I always recommend for my coaching clients is to think about it as a chief of staff. That first step: who can you come in? And the difference between a great chief of staff and a great uh, chief operating officer is um, whose voice do they speak in? A chief of staff speaks in your voice as the CEO. They're there to be your voice in the room, even if you can't be there. Chief operating officer is meant to be their own voice, right? They're meant to be that in, in, in a great organization, the yin to your yang, if you will, you know, that, that kind of symbiotic counterpart. And, uh, and so if you think of it as, hey, who can I bring in who I can focus most of my time and energy on getting them clear so that they can do the dirty work of making sure that everybody else is clear. And that's what a great chief of staff does. And that tends to be a very simple step. Uh, again, it's a little scary because you're bringing someone else into the fold. You're not at all the meetings anymore, but you don't want to be at all the meetings, you know? And so once you get past that, it's actually a huge relief for you. And what that does, you said, so the second part of that is, what do I do as CEO? Uh, if In that first initial step, it's you do the things that you want to do, right? Which, depending on how you're wired, is either something to do with sales, something to do with high-level relationships with clients. Maybe you love marketing and you want to be more hands-on there. It's any part of the organization that you want to be more hands-on, uh, typically outward-facing right? Either managing big client relationships or doing sales or, or doing something along those lines. It's where you can still play the founder card and, it, and it's beneficial to you. Uh, so those are, those are the types of things. Now, it may be uh, you're more introverted. You don't like all the outside stuff. Then you can go into the design and, and, and the product and the expertise. You can really carve out either of those paths as long as you get the right person in place uh, to work alongside you. Nice. I love that. Because I find it's, especially in a certain size business, the CEO grows, or CEO, sorry, grows to the point where it's like, okay, I get it. I'm in charge of all of this. I'm not doing this stuff anymore. Now, what do I do? And then it's like, okay, one, <laughs> you either have a vision for the company of where it's going or it's status quo and life is good, but you're not status quo. Like yeah. your company can be status quo and, and it can go on and on forever as is. And that's fine if that's what you <laughs> see for it. But I don't see as a CEO can ever be status quo. And I think they need to understand that because that's when, like, usually when the mojo starts happening, it's like, oh, and I could do this and I could do that. And they start to get into that entrepreneurial mindset again. Yeah. Yeah. If, so if an organization is in that second stage, that fun stage, or if they're looking back over their history and it's like, yeah, we're financially fine, but I don't really ever remember fun. It's probably because you didn't have the right number two in place. That number two that you're talking about is what makes the fun stage the most fun. 
you get the right person in that place. And, uh, you know, kind of a, a hint to uh, another aspect of what's all going on here, the different leadership styles, they are an operator. And we'll just kind of let that sit. But there's a there's a visionary leadership style that, you know, most entrepreneurs have, myself, probably yourself. There's a second one that is an operator, and they just love to get stuff done. And that tends to be that great COO. There's a there's another transition, though, that happens usually around the time of Whitewater. We, oftentimes, we've got a COO. Maybe that relationship isn't working wonderfully. You know, there's there's uh, there's sometimes there's there's a challenge there that needs to be addressed, which is what's actually causing Whitewater. Other times, what's happening is that relationship of CEO and COO isn't enough. That's what we had. We had a CEO, we had a COO, but it wasn't enough to get through Whitewater. And what you'll find is you have to bring in a third leadership style, which is, you know, more often than not, something along the lines of a CFO, uh, a process type person, a numbers type person, uh, a system thinker, maybe it's a CTO in a technical space. And, and that kind of triune leadership, that visionary leadership from the CEO, that operations leadership, and that technical leadership or systems leadership, that's what creates the capacity to scale. Nice. And I'm loving this because I think we're... I'm probably in that exact same spot right now, <laughs> sort of speaking, because I know I got sick and tired of um, crossing T's and dotting I's, and I'm like, I don't do this. This is not me. I'm not doing that. Hey, anybody like crossing T's? I, I, awesome. You're in here now. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. And I'm going to go back into doing sales and podcasts because that's what's super fun. Uh, and awesome. it's it's been working quite nicely. And I noticed that even though, so in my company, I was the creative director and my partner in business and crime is the um, head of technology because we're a digital company, um, mm -hmm. digital tech company. So it worked awesomely, but now I'm noticed that clearly we need onboarding processes. We need them for our clients. We need them for our staff. We need them for you know, onboarding, offboarding, <laughs> side training, everything. It's because everything right now is like, hey, what do you want to do? Okay, here's how you do it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that can't, that's not scalable. <laughs> we need yeah. somebody there. And I, up until now, I've had an issue kind of creating a position for that person, knowing that they need to be there, but are they HR? Are they like, what are they? And how do you, in your opinion, position that person so they feel awesome about what they're doing and in control of the job and not kind of um, in a, I don't want to say subservient role because nobody in our team is in a subservient role, but I don't want them to feel like they report to us. I want them to feel like they, this is your mojo, go run and do it. Yeah. This is a great question uh, and taps into one of the biggest challenges of that whitewater period. Uh, and that is that usually that visionary type and operator type styles are all you need to get an organization off the ground, right? It, it's it's like you're saying, it's we, we sell it, we do it, we're good. You know, we sell it, we do it, we're good. And uh, it's a lot like flock ball. Have you ever seen six-year-olds play soccer? <laughs> yes. yeah, that, that's kind of how we run the business. You know, it's like, we're going here and everyone's going. And it's like going here and everyone's off that way. And, and, and it's super it cute to watch. Really well. Yeah, it's just wonderful. It's great, great fun. And uh, and so, but at some point you got a bunch of people around and, and you can't move them all as quickly.
exactly as you used to be able to. And, and, you know, it's the same way. And, you know, you watch the 10 year olds play soccer. It's a little bit more structured. You watch high schoolers or pro players and there's no flock ball going on at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone's in their roles and knows what they need to do. And so uh, to, to really do that effectively at scale in an organization, you need that processor style leadership. But the problem is it's so antithetical to the way that you've led so far. Right. What we think of it as when we think of processors, we think of like our 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 receptionist or we think of our uh, our bookkeeper or, you know, supporting roles. The reason that they're supporting roles is because early on they should be. We intuitively figure out that having that processor style leadership too early is like putting brake pedals on a vehicle that's not even moving yet. Right. And just kind of mashing them into the floor and then hoping we get somewhere. It doesn't, it, that doesn't analogy. work. <laughs> right. And so uh, what we start to do, we realize, okay, processors, they want too much process that gets in the way that's going to prevent us from growing. And we make that connection in our minds. Right. And as the organization grows and it grows and it grows, the level of complexity that builds up inside the organization actually changes that formula. But it doesn't happen visibly. We don't really recognize that that's what's going on until we really need it. And so, you know, where do we put them? We put them wherever we're screwing up, right? For some organizations, <laughs> if they do a lot of contract-based work, you know, they're making up contracts as they go. They don't read anything that they're signing. And all of a sudden, they find themselves buried in a contract that doesn't have escalations for inflation. And right now, that's a big problem, right? Uh, or it may be, you know, someone who's very financially leveraged, and they're leveraging, 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 and they don't have any controls to make sure these great investments. And so they may get a, a CTO in or... You may have someone who, you know, they're, they're very people intensive and they're, they're hiring a ton of people and they're firing a ton of people. And we're like, okay, we've got to get our head wrapped around this. And so what we tend to do and what we should do is bring that technical person into whatever role we're screwing up the most, right? And when we do that, we'll, again, we'll kind of create that relief from that pressure, which gives us the ability to scale overall. What we have to be careful to do is to not do that too soon. Because if you do it too soon, like I said earlier, it's like putting that big brake pedal on there. And so really from an organization you know, size standpoint, from an organization lifecycle stage standpoint, what we'll typically recommend is that you outsource as much of the processing as you can until you can no longer outsource it. Because that's what keeps it, that's what actually keeps it subservient, but it's okay, right? It, it, because it's not a lesser than, greater than, it's just outside, inside. And, and it, it makes that dynamic work really, really well. The, the challenge is recognizing when it should become, it should come in and then making it co-equal right? Making it like you're saying, you're intuitively picking up on, we need that vision operator and processor working together co-equally. Because what we try to do is we try to bring them in. We realize, hey, these people aren't like us. You know, they're slow, they're risk averse. You know, they, they want to dot all, <laughs> like they care about cut, you know, colors of buttons. Like who cares? You know, they have so many questions. They say no all the time. And, and we relegate them, even if we don't call it this, we push them down lower in the organization or we push them out altogether. And that's, you can't get through whitewater by doing that. You really have to embrace that third style. Nice. I love that. So talk to me about another issue that I see happening all the time is somebody picks the things that they don't want to do. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I just want a mini me. 
I just some, want somebody that is capable of doing all the things I can do, does all the things I don't want to do. Um, and they don't really realize how to compartmentalize it into personality types or skill sets. Yeah, it's a, it's very, very common. What most leaders do is they build leadership teams that maybe not individually, but collectively look just like the leader. So one of the big things that I do is I, I assess leadership styles for, for all of the teams that I work with. And we look at the three styles that we've talked about so far, that visionary operator processor and a fourth style, which is called a synergist, which comes a little bit later in the, the organization's history. If you have most leaders tend to be visionary synergists, uh, they tend to be visionaries by birth and then they learn, hey, I've actually got to deal with other people and, and they develop that synergist style. Well, what happens is they build visionary synergist teams, right? They build teams that are low on operators and low on processors. And, and it creates a lot of problems for them because what it does is actually compounds their weaknesses. You know, if you've got a very visionary team and a, or a very synergistic team, you have a bunch of people love coming together. They love working together. High fives. You know, it's all great. Who's going to go do this? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be there for the next dream meeting. And and, and nothing gets done between each of the sessions. And, and that's a real challenge. So, you know, best answer really is to find some type of a tool for measuring that. Now, there's a lot of them out there. I've used a lot of them. Any tool, uh, I think this is true. Any tool is better than no tool. There's probably a bad one out there that you shouldn't use, but all the ones that I've used have been helpful. The one that I prefer, the one that I use now is called the Synergist tool. It's these four styles because it's so easy. It's just four styles. And when you say visionary, people intuitively get what a visionary is. They get what an operator is. They get what a processor is. The only one's the Synergist, Synergist and they come up with all kinds of random names for that, but you get it because it, it fills in the blank for the rest of the styles. And so use an assessment like that. Uh, that, that's, that's really the simplest strategies. You don't have to intuitively get it. You don't have to love psychoanalytics. Just find an assessment that, that makes sense to you, not even the best one, just the one that makes sense to you and use that to balance out your team. Now, the one caveat that I'll add to that is, you know, in my work, because we use the different life cycle stages, we've come to recognize that there's a different balance that is appropriate for each stage. And so when you're doing, it's not about having everything equal. It's about having the right mix for either the role that you're looking for or for the stage that your organization is in most of the time, both. Awesome. I have been loving everything you say and I'm engrossed in all of it and can't wait to do it more because you talk my jam. So what might somebody at home be thinking and going, oh my God, Scott, I need you so bad. What kind of issues might they be facing that you can come in and and help them with? Yeah, the clearest one, the one that happens most is that your organization stops being fun to lead. That, that's the biggest one, right? I have people come to me and they don't even know that we have a life cycle stage called fun, you know, but they'll say, it's just, it's not fun anymore. And it's funny because when you talk to folks, they don't really, it's not ever high on the cognitive, like, here's what I'm not trying to make a fun business, but it's something that we actually deeply care about and don't really realize it. So one of the clearest is it's, it's just hard. It's not fun anymore. And, and it's not an, even an issue. You may be making more profit than ever, but you, you're just bored with it. Uh, or you feel like it's getting bureaucratic or it's lost its way. Those are the types of things that we go in and unpack. Uh, the clearest kind of from a metric standpoint is that profit may still be going, uh, I'm sorry, revenue is going up, but profit is not going up as much. 
when you start to see those two separate, you need to change your strategy for, from a leadership standpoint. And if you don't, that separation only grows. That's exactly what happened to us. Oh, that is awesome. So again, we're going to talk about if somebody's super excited about this too, they want to start their journey with you. Where did they go? How did they start that Awesome. Best bet's going to be that creating capacity resource. It's really a, a I mean, again, it's a free set. Uh, I think there's over 30 videos, but we break it down into just five minutes a day. If, nice. if you just walk through five minutes a day, anyone can get five minutes a day, especially to get out of whitewater. And so yeah. uh, that's your best bet. Again, scalearchitects.com slash creating dash capacity. Uh, I made it specifically for those people you know, what it does, it introduces the type of work that I do. It's the same set of, of tools that I use with my clients. Um, the difference is we go in, we work on it as a team and you have someone to guide you through every step of that process. But I really didn't hold anything back on that. It's not a cheap thing that's trying to sell a whole bunch of stuff. It's really genuinely uh, a great resource for for uh, for CEOs, for founders who, who are looking at it and saying, hey, the fun is gone. What do I do? Nice. I love that. So um, I absolutely appreciate your time. I know we're running a little bit late. I was probably asking a lot of questions. So thank you for that. I have to ask you before you go, though, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? It was that point on that plane. You know, I, I didn't realize it at first, but I had always had an entrepreneurial thing. You know, my my family has been that way. I'd never really considered myself as an entrepreneur. But when I realized that there was a real thing called whitewater and that there was a real way out of it and that I could help people do that, that was the first time that I really was like, hey, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. Awesome. So thank you again, Scott, for your time. I appreciate it. I know how valuable your time is. Any last words for our peeps? Uh, you know, if you're feeling that way, like I did, like all of my clients have to this point, if you're feeling like this is not the organization that I built that I want to run, there is another way. Uh, there's actually multiple ways out and you should love running the organization that you lead. If you've started an organization, you've done the hard deed. Now it's time to get the reward for that. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur is hard enough as it is. Don't do that without the joy of what's available to you. Love that. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Please be sure to subscribe to the show now on your favorite podcast app so that I can help you scale your business. I love having you here. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.